following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Okay, as we did our worship this morning, we lifted up our voices to the Lord. As I, I was listening to that worship service, one word kept coming again and again and again. The word is fear, no fear. No fear. Um, we won't fear the battle. We won't fear the fight. No fear. And then the song said, as we closed, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? But sometimes we succumb to fear. In the world that we live in, there's COVID. Should we fear COVID? No, I don't think so. Uh, we have fears coming on over government overreach and the way government is going. We see the decline in morals, and uh, it can cause us to fear. But this morning, the text that we have, I hope, dispels that fear. God does not want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in victory. And so the text that we're going to look at this morning, I think, is going to help us as we look ahead to what God has in store for us in the future, as well as how he is working through us today in, in light of what is coming in the future. My uh, text for this morning is, is 1 Corinthians 15. I'll be covering verses 50 down through 58. And I'm closing chapter 15. And Paul is going to close his uh, statements with a summation of what he had previously said, and then he's going, to have, he's going to give us a conclusion. In light of all that I've just said, coming through 1 Corinthians 15, he's going to give us a conclusion. What then? Now that we know this, what then? And to understand the summation, we must understand the whole of the chapter. Because it's all one long defense of the believer's bodily resurrection. And he starts off, and I'm going to give a quick review of the, of the chapter. Hopefully I can make it quickly through. We'll work on it. And so we can get right to our text. So I'm going to move through it kind of fast. We're not going to back up and look at those texts. I'm just going to lead us through it real quick. Verses 1 through 2. We find Paul claiming apostolic authority in what he's about to say. That, that is that he is inspired by the Holy Spirit as an apostle to give the written word from Christ. And it's, it's closely related to what we see uh, in just a few chapters ahead of where we are now in 1 Corinthians 11 where he's given them the procedure for communion. And he says it like this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That is, Paul is claiming that he has received this message from the Lord. He's now delivering to them and to us today. Secondly, he's using the evidence of fulfilled prophecy. He tells us that uh, Christ died according to Scripture, and three days later he was raised from the dead according to Scripture. He then moves on to his next, which is evidence of eyewitness accounts. More than 500 saw him at one time. All of the apostles had seen him. Uh, Paul himself gives himself as what I would call a hostile witness. That is that Paul initially was totally resisting the gospel message. He was doing everything he could to stomp out the gospel message and the knowledge of Christ. He then was confronted with the risen Christ, and it totally changed him. 100, 180 degrees. So he's giving his witness as an eyewitness. He also said that most of these guys are still alive today. So if you want to go ask him, you can go ask him. He gave him gave a couple of names, Cephas and James. He then moves on from that argument to a logical deduction of the resurrection. If there's no resurrection of the body, then there can be no resurrection of Christ. And if there's no resurrection of Christ, we find the whole of the gospel collapsing down. He says, as a matter of fact, if, if we're part of that, then we have no hope. But he says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the first fruits of those who will be. He gives this... Uh, argument to support what he's about to say because Christ has been raised from the dead we will be raised from the dead in a bodily fashion 
And because of our union with Christ, we can be assured that it's going to happen. So now we move quickly down to verses 50 for our text for today. Um, If you'll stand with me, we'll read this together. We stand in respect for God's word, and this passage has become very meaningful to me as I've prepared to bring a message on it. So let's, let's listen to what Paul has to say in his summation. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when perishable puts on the imperishable, then the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word. As we read these words from our God, Lord, they stabilize us, they strengthen us, they encourage us as we see the vision of the wonder and glory of our God and his great plan for the ages and the summation of that plan. And Lord, we're made aware that it is by the power and the work of Christ Jesus alone and faith in him that makes that available to us. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for the word that you have given us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul's argument, his defense, I should say, in uh, defense of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of believers, leads us to his, his summation. He's going to wrap this thing up with some very important information. He's going to add a few details to it. But first he goes off and he says, I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit imperishable. He's making something very clear to us. He's telling us that this body that we now inhabit is not suitable, it is not designed for the new heaven and the new earth. It functions okay for this life, but it has some deficiencies that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But what he has planned is something that's, that's imperishable. He is going to reconfigure our bodies, whether we're dead or alive at his return. He's going to remake it so that it is suitable for heaven, for the new earth and the new heaven. And he gives us kind of a, a description that Dave covered last week. We're going to take a quick look at it because it's important that we understand some of the details of what this new body is like, what God had in mind as he was planning for it. So we look back at at verses 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. This body that we inhabit is perishable. It's not going to last very long. And as we look around us and look at our own selves in the mirror, we can tell that time and decay are catching up with us all. This body is growing old, it is getting weaker, it is a perishable body. But he has one that this resurrection, that's going to be an imperishable body. It's not subject to the same limitations as the body we now inhabit. So that new body, it's imperishable. 
It is eternal. He then goes on to say, this one is sown in dishonor. The one that's coming will be glorious. This one is in dishonor because it's subject to sin. And I think we all know that as we walk through this life, we battle against sin. That's where in that song it says, we will not fear the battle. We understand that it exists. But we have a champion that fights with us and for us. Then that dishonorable body, honorable body will be changed, will be transformed into one that's glorious. One that is made in the image of Christ. One that doesn't have the same limitations. One that is designed suitable for the new heaven and the new earth. This body is weak, but the one that is coming is powerful. We see our limitations in this life. And I was, I was thinking about this, and I've been fairly healthy most of my life. I've taken some blows in construction work that I do. I've fallen off roofs. I've nailed myself with pneumatic nail guns. Uh, I've had beams fall on me. Uh, so I've always got up and walked away from them. Maybe a few stitches and a couple of infections, but I've walked away from them. But now as I'm getting older, I'm beginning to sense the limitations in my body. It's weaker. Tammy and I both got COVID, uh, what, a month ago now? And uh, I first getting sick. And they go, no big deal. I'll blow through this thing just like I've blown through everything else. It'll be fine. But in the COVID, I was reminded this body is getting weaker and how fragile it really is. And so for five weeks later, I'm still battling the leftovers of it, the uh, collateral damage, you might say, of having COVID. And it just serves to remind me this body is perishable. But there's one coming that's not perishable. This body is weak, but there's one that's coming that's powerful. This body is dishonored. There was one that's coming that is glorious. He then says this, and it is sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. We need to understand this. What Paul is not talking about here, what he's not referring to is a disembodied spirit. He's talking about a physically resurrected body that has been restored and refitted for the new heaven and the new earth. Um, but it has a renewed spirit as well. We have, a, we have a sin nature that we battle with daily. And I had been visiting with the elders and we're talking about different things in life. And I said, you know, uh, I was driving into work the other day and I pray while I drive a lot of times. It's probably not always a good thing because when I get energized about the prayer, I start going faster and faster. And my wife will reach over and tap me on the leg. That means, Dave, slow down. But in this particular instance, I'm praying around uh, about things that are going on around us. So I, I gravitate to praying for our, prize, our president, Joe Biden. And so I'm praying for him to lead our country, that he would come to saving faith if he's not, and all these various things. And I'm partly through that prayer, and this thought goes through my mind that fast. Man, Dave, you're a pretty good guy praying for him. You catch it? Sin is ever-present. And I had to stop for a moment. I said, Lord, you heard that, didn't you? you? You knew my thought before I even spoke it. And so I, I had to confess that to the Lord and repent in my heart. That was pride. Look at me. I'm a good, good guy. The new body is fitted with a new spirit that is free from sin. It's free from this in nature. I won't have those prideful thoughts. I won't be selfish in what I do. I won't be self-centered. Uh, all of those things will be removed. And honestly, just the thought of what that must be like, it's hard to even grasp it because we live with it so long. It seems like the normal for us. But when there comes a time when we're going to be able to converse with one another without being jealous about what good thing has happened in their life, well, why hasn't that happened to me? Or finding something wrong with them so we can justify ourselves. We'll be free from that. What about worship? You know, we enjoyed this worship this morning. Was that awesome? To lift up our voices and praise to our God. Our worship is still impure because of the sin that resides in us. But there's coming a time where we won't be beset with that sin nature. And our worship will truly be pure. What must that be like? Sinless in what we do. That's what Paul is saying. He's not talking about a disembodied spirit. He's talking a spirit that is renewed and is in total harmony with the Holy Spirit. 
You know, we feel the Holy Spirit's work in us, don't we? As he's convicting us and opening the word for us, giving us eyes to see what he's doing. So we know the presence of the Holy Spirit. But to be in total harmony with that, there's a day coming. And I, I was thinking, trying to come to mind and think of an illustration that would fit, that would help us to understand. And you know, because Dave is a sports guy and a, and a baseball guy, his illustrations are usually about baseball. Me, I'm not. I'm a gearhead. Me and Dave Quilla, we're gearheads. That is, we like everything that has an internal combustion engine and goes vroom. Right, Dave? We do. We like airplanes, cars, motorcycles. That's where we're at. So this morning, if you're a gearhead, I got an illustration for you that illustrates what's going on here that Paul is trying to explain to us. I don't know if I should ask this question again. How many in here know what the stoichiometric mixture is? Dave does now. Perry! Woo! Good job, Perry. He was in the first service. <laughs> sure he is. Okay, he's cheating then, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, my dad was, a, was a, a flight engineer on B-29s. He taught my brothers and I mechanics. And he told us about the stoichiometric mixture. Now, I may have forgotten a lot of things that he taught us, but why that one sticks in my mind, I have no idea. It simply means the ratio of fuel to oxygen that's in its internal combustion engine. So it dumps in fuel, oxygen, that ratio as that piston compresses that uh, fuel and air mixture and explodes and makes your engine go. Okay, so if you know what that is, you're a two, true gearhead. So we're going to take a look at the restoration of an automobile. Let's start with, say, a 1948 Chevy pickup. Okay? If you're into, into cars, you're kind of going to feel what I'm talking about here. That old truck is rusty, it's broken down, and we can do a restoration on it. A restoration simply means they're going to put a new paint job on it, they're going to fix a few things, and it has to look and run just like it used to when it was made. 1948, drum brakes, not so good. Six-volt battery system, not so good. Or they can do what's called a retro mod, restoration modification. So they're going to take that old rusty truck and they're going to clean it up, and they're going to paint it with polyurethane paint, and they're going to bake it in an oven. So it's way better than the original one. More impervious to rust, more impervious to dirt. They're going to pull off those drum brakes that don't really work very well, and they're going to put disc brakes in it. So you step on those brakes, it's going to stop that truck fast. They're going to powder coat the frame. A paint process that's almost totally impervious to rust. They're going to put in a new shock system, modern shock system. They're going to upgrade the engine. It's a restro mod. They're making it so it's suitable for our modern roads. You can drive at 65 miles an hour and you can step on the brakes and expect to stop. Uh, instead of putting along at 45, hit the brakes and two miles later you're going to get stopped. <laughs> So it's, it's a resto mod. What God is doing in the resurrection of his children, of his believers, is resurrecting that body totally refitted by God for our new heaven and our new earth. It's equipped for that. It's superhuman. As a matter of fact, it says that we will have a body like Christ because we will see him as he is. That's, that's what God has in store for us. After he kind of completes this idea, of course, he wasn't talking about trucks and restorations, but then he goes on, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery, I tell you a mystery. Now, here's that word that pops up frequently in the New Testament, and we simply don't use it much today. Behold, right? When was the last time somebody used behold in a sentence? If you've used behold in a sentence over the last year, stick your hand up. A couple of guys have used behold. Well, if you haven't, you did during worship service because we sang it two times. Behold our God, right? Okay, you've used it in a sentence. But he simply means by that that pay attention. I'm going to reveal to you something amazing and you have to get this. I stole that stuff from Dave. He likes to say, you've got to get this. You've got to understand this, right? He does that a lot. Well, we've got to get this. He says, behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep but will be changed. In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, 
and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. He's going to share with them a mystery. A mystery in the Bible is something that has heretofore not been explained, not been presented. Well, he's going to share that with them today. He says, we aren't all going to sleep. There's going to be some that are alive at Christ's return when this trumpet sound happens. And it says that the dead will be raised imperishable first. Then those who are alive will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Now, as we look at this, the the wonder and glory of what's about to happen here is amazing. We all know, I think by now, what the sanctifying process of God is. God has one main goal in our life, and that's transforming us to the image of His Son, right? That's what it says in in Romans 8.26. Transforming us to the image of His Son. And that's a process in this life. And we feel the Holy Spirit working in our life, the Word of God working in our life, slowly changing us into the image of His Son. But we still have a sin nature. And so it's, it's a process. But on Christ's return, it says in the twinkling of an eye, that fast, the process will move from a process to being complete. That is, all of God's work that He's doing in us will suddenly be complete. In the twinkling of an eye, we will no longer be wrestling with a sin nature and temptation in sin. We will know what it is like to worship God in a sinless way. In the twinkling of an eye, this perishable must put on imperishable. Now, in this particular chapter, that would be about the fourth or fifth time where He's conveyed that message to us. We don't really understand the idea of eternal life because everything we know has a beginning and an end. But now, he's equipping us with an eternal body that's perfect, it's not flawed, it's not going to grow old, it's not going to decay, it's not subject to disease, it's not subject to injury when you staple yourself with a nail gun or when a beam drops on you. You're not going to walk away beat up and bruised. That's what God has in store for us. The imperishable putting on, excuse me, the perishable putting on the imperishable. The mortal, that's what we are now, will put on immortality. He then goes on to what that means for us. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. And when... I used, to, I used to preach at a church and there was a big whiteboard behind me. And I would oftentimes draw a picture that conveyed the image of what I saw in God's Word. I, I'm a fairly good drawer, fairly good ostrich. I mean, not super, but I'm, I can do fairly well at it. And so as I was reading this, death is swallowed up in victory. I thought, what, what can I draw that, w- that would explain this, that would uh, give us a visual I couldn't come up with one. So instead, I looked for other words that we might use instead of swallowed up, death swallowed up in victory. Death is totally, utterly annihilated. It is overwhelmed. It's crushed. It's destroyed. Death no longer can have reign in our lives. Both physically, spiritually, are gone. Christ's work on the cross has utterly defeated death. As a matter of fact, if we look back in this same chapter, verses 26, it says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death has got a death sentence on it. At Christ's return, when we receive our resurrected bodies, our reconfigured spirit within us, death will be destroyed and no more. As a matter of fact, in Revelation, God says that death will be cast into a lake of fire. It's no more. Christ has won this victory. And then I'd like you to pay attention just for a moment. What follows there? Interesting statements. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's, it's almost as though Paul is taunting death. 
I hesitate to say he's trash-talking death. You can't win. You can't sting me. You can't create fear within me. One of those songs we sang, right? No fear of death. The culture that we live in is building a culture of fear. It really is. It's creating fear among people in every way we turn. Fear of COVID, fear of disease, fear of government, fear of a financial crash of the stock market or whatever else it is. It's a, it's a culture of fear. Within the body of Christ, we preach a culture of no fear because of Christ who has won the victory for us. So he said, the sting of death is sin. That is that all have sinned. There's none righteous, not one. Every one us. And the wages of sin is what? It's death. We've sinned. There is a dark cloud of judgment hung over me. Paul says in Colossians that he calls it a, a certificate of death. But he goes on and says that certificate of debt a sin debt, is nailed to the cross. That cloud has been removed by the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross, giving His innocent free life as an atonement for my sin, as a payment for my guilt. Uh, That cloud of judgment no longer exists over me. Jesus has borne it to the cross. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The power of sin is the law. And we know the law, don't we? Uh, Thou shalt not lie, commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. And all ten of those commandments that, that we have failed at one way or another. Even Christ turned the focus down even sharper when he said, if you've looked at a woman to, to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you've hated your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. We've all failed. But the power of the law has been conquered by the fact that Jesus has fulfilled all the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. Here we are, a lost people, guilty of sin with judgment over our heads. And this is the glory of this thing. This is the glory of the gospel. That our God, our creator of all the universe, sees our condition and our sin guilt. And he himself steps onto the scene in the saga of man, giving his life as a payment for our sin, for my sin. What what kind of God is this? A glorious God, a God of love, a God who cares. So, the sting of death is done away because death does not mean judgment for me. It just means that this body is going to die and it will be resurrected again someday. I go to be with him in a place that the Bible calls paradise. And uh, there's more to come in just a minute. So the sting of death is sin and the sin is, or excuse me, the power of sin is the law that Jesus has defeated. But here's the thing that Paul has described in here. He died for our sins, but the story isn't over. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we are assured that God has accepted his sacrifice as payment in full for our sins. God was satisfied was his death, his death in place of mine. Excuse me, I need to say COVID uh, has some leftovers that uh, are still with me. I can't, uh, I can't go too long without water. <clears throat> Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead uh, gives evidence that the Father has accepted his payment for our sin and because of our union from him with him it guarantees our resurrection as well our bodily bodily resurrection 
57, verse 57. But thanks be to God. Aren't you thrilled every time we look at those words in God's word? But God, but God, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That, folks, means that we are victorious. Why should we fear death? Why should we fear COVID? Why should we fear governments and their edicts? We have been given a victory that was bought by Jesus Christ, and now that victory is given to us. Over in Romans chapter 8, it says that we are more than overcomers, more than conquerors, through Jesus Christ. We are victors here because of the work of Jesus Christ. In John, 1 John, it says that we are overcomers through the work of Jesus Christ. So I don't know about you, but sometimes in this life I don't feel much like a victor or an overcomer or a conqueror. Because really I'm not. It's all Jesus Christ who is the victor, the conqueror. And then because of His grace, He grants us that victory. But God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death should hold no fear for us. That body that we're, we're going to leave in the grave is going to be restored one day. And in the meantime, when I die, I'm going to go be with him in paradise until his return. And then I will have a restored body, one that is imperishable, one suitable for the new heaven and the new earth. I'm going to share with you a quick story um, not that many years ago, I was leading a uh, junior high boys group. And uh, we were on a hike in the woods. And there was a young guy named Zach. I think Jack was pro- Zach was probably in sixth grade. And uh, I was talking with Zach when we were out in the woods. And he's, uh, he's kind of afraid of heaven. And he wanted to convey that, that, that idea to me. And so I asked him, you know, what's, what, what's the trouble, Zach? Well, I... If I, if I die and go to heaven, then my parents won't be there. He, he was afraid of not being with his parents. He said, I don't want to be all alone on a cloud. Or the idea of playing a harp was not his idea. If he had to be playing something, it probably would have been drum. Because cool guys play drums. Right, Derek? I don't know if Derek in here. Cool guys play drums. But what I told him was, I said, look, Zach, do you, do you like to go swimming in the summertime? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, do you like to go camping with your parents and roast marshmallows over the campfire? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I said, do you know that the same God that has designed this world for you, even though scarred with sin, you enjoy it. That same God has created and is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, that's better than this one. So all those things that we enjoy... God is going to improve. It's going to be better. And Jesus Christ has paved the way for us to get there. That means that our God loves us that much. He gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now as we have walked our way through chapter 15, we come down to his conclusion. Those were his closing arguments. Those were his summation of what he had just been telling the Corinthian people this incredible uh, thing that was lying ahead for them. Gives them his summation, and then he has a conclusion with it. So what does all this mean? How should this apply to us? We're still alive, living out our lives here. How does that impact us? What should the impact of that knowledge be? So he says in his closing verses, therefore, that is because of all I just told you, the wonder and glory of what lies ahead for you with Christ should impact you this way. My beloved brothers, <laughs> compare that to uh, uh, over in the, the first part where he was talking to people who were objecting to uh, the resurrection. He called them fools. Now he's looking at people and he's saying, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. <clears throat> what, he's, what he's calling us to here is not a stubborn, pig-headed attitude 
in how we deal with people. We have what we call here either open-handed doctrines or close-handed doctrines. That is, some of these open-handed doctrines are ones that, that we're not really too sure, such as our eschatology, how we believe end times unfold. There's probably a lot of disagreement in, in this room about how that happens. But we can function together. That's an open-handed thing. It doesn't have to do with our, our uh, salvation. Close-handed issues are something very different. Let me share a few of those with you. These are the essentials of the faith. The resurrection of Christ. Close-handed issue. His resurrection from the dead guarantees our resurrection and our eternity. It guarantees that His sacrifice was atonement and was enough for us to be forgiven and to be reconciled to God. Close-handed. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That is, in that birth, he doesn't have a human father. God is his father. He is not subject to a sin nature. And uh, something going on here? Okay. He's not subject to that sin nature. Um, Close-handed issue. We will have a bodily resurrection from the dead. Because if we don't, then it has its impact on Christ's resurrection from the dead. Close-handed issues. Salvation comes through Christ alone. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Those are close-handed issues. And he says, Be steadfast in those. Be unmovable. We're to be so acquainted with the Word of God that we can recognize when one of those closed-handed doctrines is being assaulted. He says, be steadfast in those. Be immovable in those. Don't be tossed around by every wave and wind of doctrine. And in the world that we live today, in this country, believe me, we're full of those. They are not biblically based. They're the doctrine of men. They are not in God's word, and we're surrounded by them. We need to be so in tune with what God has told us that we're not easily moved. We're steadfast in the truth. There's a scripture here down in chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, that I use frequently in discipleship of young men. It goes like this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Be watchful, stand firm. He's reiterating that same thing. Be watchful for false doctrine, for false teachers that will corrupt the purity of the gospel that is explained to us in God's word. There are wolves in sheep's clothing that we are to be watching for. Be steadfast, immovable. Don't be deceived by the schemes of the devil. He then goes on. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Therefore, brothers, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. So as I was looking at what what exactly is the work of the Lord? What can we uh, assume that we do that is the work of the Lord? And so I kind of went down a list of things that I see happening here. But let me first give you a brief definition of what it is that is the work of the Lord. And it's, it's found in, in Matthew 28. End of the chapter. It says, Jesus Christ, speaking to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven, all authority has been given me and in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you, And American Standard puts that final verse this way. And lo, I am with you always. I love that. In the New SV, it says, uh, and behold. Lo is kind of a a cooler word. I mean, I I like it. Lo. It's, It's like, be relieved. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So his work is discipleship. It is making disciples of all nations. 
Let me tell you how that works out in a practical way. As I looked at this church and began to, to, to pinpoint areas of people that are doing the work of the Lord. Some of them, they don't even really realize what they're doing. But let me just go down a few. COVID, I've brought it up any number of times. But is COVID stopping the work of the church? Is it stopping us? Is it stopping the gospel? Has Satan found a way to put the brakes on for us? I say not. We have people in the medical field in this church, and I'm not going to attach names to these because I don't want to overlook somebody and what they're doing. But we have nurses that have found a new open door in praying with patients and their fellow workers, speaking the gospel to patients and their fellow workers that they didn't have before. We find doctors with the same doors open. This is the work of the Lord. This is making of disciples. From this pulpit, we hear the word of God preached so that believers are strengthened in their faith, so that the gospel is heard. And as people hear the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can be forgiven, they can be reconciled to God. They can have this hope in the future of a resurrection and an imperishable, eternal body with the presence of Jesus Christ our Savior. There are Bible classes going on in people's homes, community groups going on in people's homes, where Christ and the gospel is lifted up. His word is preached every week. Moms and dads, you're making disciples of your kids. Every example that you present to them of godly men and women in the home, every word that you teach them of the glory and wonder of God, the God that we serve and teach His word, You're doing gospel work. You're abounding in the work of the Lord. Now I want to encourage you, in these efforts as we're going forward, it may seem that we take three steps forward and two back. If you've ever raised kids, you know what I'm talking about. But stay the course. Be consistent in what you're doing. Continue to go to the Lord in prayer to change the hearts of our kids in that gospel ministry. Uh, Tammy and I had COVID. So we're, we're locked up at home, no energy uh, spent, and lo and behold, chicken noodle soup shows up on our doorstep. Bouquets of flowers shows up on our doorstep. That is gospel ministry. It is displaying the love of Christ that's dwelling in our hearts, in our love for one another. You know, folks, when we express that love to each other, we're loving Christ. We have found an outlet. We have found an expression of our love for Christ when people show up on my door and bring soup. They bring things that we need. There are groups in here, in this church, that are seeing to it that Whittle Lady gets a roof replaced because it's leaking. That's gospel ministry. Doctors making house calls to help people walk through uh, COVID and other things. Going to their homes, ministering to their needs, expressing brotherly love within the body of Christ. The world sees this. It's gospel ministry. It's abounding in the work of the Lord. When we walk out our faith on the job, we walk out our faith in our schools, in our neighborhoods, we're abounding in the work of the Lord, taking the gospel to work, school, and play. Fervent in prayer for one another and for the expansion of the gospel. It goes on in the other room here, half an hour before church begins, every Sunday. You can gather with that group and be in prayer. It doesn't have to be in a gathering. It can be in your home or in your car like me as you're driving. That's gospel ministry. That's abounding in the work of the Lord. There's one name that I can mention because I believe it's appropriate this morning. My office is right over in the children's ministry building, top floor, and I'm in there working, studying, and I hear some shuffling back and forth up and down the hall. So I get up and go look and see what's going on. 
And there's Liz, Perry and Mame's mom. She is shuffling back and forth, setting up supplies for the Sunday school teachers. She's putting what they need in those rooms so that they can teach that Sunday school class faithfully every week. That's abounding in the work of the Lord. She's now with the Lord. Her body is dead and in the ground, but she's very much alive with Christ, as is Linda. And what really matters is what she was doing over there in that Sunday school room that nobody saw. Gospel ministry, abounding in the works of the Lord. Since we're on children's ministries, we have some 70 to 80 volunteers that are serving over there, sharing the gospel with young people, planting seeds of the gospel in some of these kids, watering that seed with some of the others so that their faith will grow. And you know, as an elder in this church, I think for eight years, I think I've been now, and with new members classes, we ask people to share their testimony. We've heard a lot of testimonies. You'd be surprised to know how many began in Sunday school. How many began in VBS, Vacation Bible School? The work of the Lord. And if you're interested in being involved, this is not a, uh, uh, a sales pitch. It's an opportunity. If you want to avail yourself of that, come talk to me or Heather. It's abounding in the work of the Lord. He then finishes up. He brings closure to this chapter, to this summation, to his uh, admonition uh, for us to be steadfast, immovable, and bounding in the work of the Lord with this simple little statement that we would often overlook, but it's huge. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our labor in the Lord. What does he mean by that? Here's what it means. In Christ, he draws us to saving faith. In Christ, he begins a sanctifying process of molding us in the image of Christ. Jesus grants unto us gifts to be used to serve, to engage in gospel ministry. He empowers us to labor in that gospel ministry, whether it's over in the Sunday school, whether it's on your job. He empowers us. But then he says, your work in the Lord is not in vain. Paul says in 1 Timothy, in his final words, as he's wrapping up that chapter, he's talking to Timothy. He knew his, his life was almost over. He said, uh, I've run the race. I've finished the course. Now there is laid up for me a crown of glory that the King will give to me, the Savior will give to me, Jesus will give to me. His work was not in vain. He didn't make a lot of money. He didn't own a lot of houses. He gave a track record of beatings for Christ, jailings for Christ. Now he's going to give up his life for Christ. But he said, henceforth there is laid up for me a treasure, a crown. Peter says something very similar. He says after his years of service, when he goes to be with the Lord, he says the great shepherd will himself hand hand me a crown of glory. Now I don't know what these crowns are exactly. Maybe they're a little crown, maybe they're something else. But here's the interesting thing. Those rewards that he gives us we eventually lay at the Savior's feet. Because it was Him working through us and drawing us to saving faith and gifting us to serve, empowering us to serve, being there beside us as we serve. Then He gives us a reward for having done it. And then in our resurrected bodies and our spirits perfectly in harmony with the Holy Spirit, we lay those those things at His feet. That uh, call to worship that we read today talks about 
the white robes that we will be wearing at the marriage supper of the Lamb are the good deeds of the saints, those works that Christ has worked through us. And he gives us this picture in Christ of white robes that we're going to be wearing. How many of you would love to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? I know I would. If there's, if the crown is something different, it's enough to hear my Savior say, well done. And the only good that I can do is what he does through me. What a God we serve. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you'll pray with me. Lord, our Heavenly Father, how wonderful that you would share these promises with us. Not only what lies ahead in the glory of your great consummation of the ages in conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ, preparing us to be suitable to occupy the new heaven and the new earth that is molded and created by our God and free from sin and is perfect and pure. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you have won the victory that we could not win. We thank you that the sting of death is gone and so is its victory because you have won the victory for us. And you've given us that victory. Lord, I pray that as we leave this building today, that we would go forward in that victory, realizing that the things of this life, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Lord, that we would engage, Lord, in gospel ministry, abounding in the work of our Lord. And Lord, now as we close this time together, we desire to offer up to you a song of worship because of the truth that you have shown us in your word. We, Lord, we pray that that would be a sweet-smelling savor before our God. We praise you and thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.